Hello. Hi, Fanny. How are you? Did you manage to find my place all right? Yes, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Come on in, it's cold outside. Welcome to Cross Paths, the podcast of the UTMB World Series. Every month, two runners, one elite and one amateur come together to discuss trail running and much more. They share their passions, inspirations, and get to know each other better. To kick off this second season, Aurélien Dunant-Palaz, second in the 2021 UTMB and winner of the Diagonal des Fous and the Hard Rock 100 last year, welcomes Fanny Darros to his home. Together, they discuss their victories, their failures, their physical and mental preparation, their love for travel and discovery, not forgetting the enjoyment of good food. We hope you'll enjoy this moment where their paths cross. Aurélien, let's kick things off with a quick introduction. You're 31 years old. You were born in Albertville, coinciding with the year of the Winter Olympics. During your teenage years, you started off playing soccer before transitioning to alpine skiing. Then you discovered your talent for trail running, leading you to begin competing in 2012, followed shortly by your inaugural ski mountaineering season in 2012-2013. In 2013, you became French trail running rookie champion. Subsequently, you achieved an impressive series of podium placements in 2017, culminating in a victory at the Madeira Ultra Sky Marathon. You were crowned as the French trail running champion in 2018. Despite a setback in 2019 due to a stress fracture, you made a triumphant return in 2020, setting a world record for 24 hours of positive elevation gain, tallying an astounding 17,217 meters. Among your notable accomplishments is securing second place at the UTMB in 2021, completing the loop in 20 hours, 58 minutes, and 31 seconds. In 2023, you won the legendary Hard Rock 100 in the USA, followed by victories at the 70-kilometer race at Winstrubel by UTMB, and La Diagonale des Fous on La Réunion Island. You welcomed your first child in 2022 with another baby boy on the way in the coming months. Last but not least, you also work as a physiotherapist. Does this overview cover everything or have I overlooked anything important? No, it's pretty much all there. But uh, just to clarify, I didn't win the Ultra Sky Marathon in Madeira in 2017. I actually came second to Jonathan Alban. Maybe Jonathan wasn't as big a name back then as he is now. Still, it was a great battle. Aurélien, you've brought something special with you today. Would you mind sharing what it is and why it is so important to you? Well, yes, it's not very original, I guess, but I brought the trophy for my victory at La Diagonale des Fous 2023. This trophy means a lot to me because I've been to La Réunion four times. Each time I went there hoping to take part in this race, but each time I wasn't able to take the start. The first three times in 2018, 2019 and 2022, I was there at the start and each time I was injured, so I wasn't able to run. And so I said to myself, I'm cursed on that island. It doesn't want me there. But last year, for the first time, I was able to take the start. And then I succeeded on the first try in achieving what was something 
are the holy grail for me, which was to win this race. When I discovered the island in 2018, its trails and everything there charmed me immediately. I jokingly told my partner, I'll keep coming back until I win this race. And there I have it, on the first try. It represents a lot of things, the sporting side and the exploring side too, which I love. I've been discovering new things thanks to my partner for several years now. And La Réunion Island is one hell of a destination for travel. It's typically a bit gloomy back home in October, but you get there and the weather's great. The sun's shining and you see the lagoon. It's, it's just a great memory. Can I weigh it? Of course, of course. It's super heavy. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's especially bulky. What do you want to put inside this cup? Unfortunately, I can't fill it with champagne because, as you can see, it's not entirely full. So instead, I keep my finisher's medal inside, along with the race bib. I don't usually hold on to my race bibs, but the three I've kept are from my three 100-mile races, the UTMB in 2021, last year's Hard Rock, and La Diagonale des Fous. It takes pride of place in the living room. I got permission to put it in the living room with the Hard Rock trophy. <laughs> I removed the others, but I kept these too. For the record, the main difficulty with this cup was getting it home. It is so big, it didn't fit in the suitcase. So we had to ask the airline to be nice with us. And so they kept it in the cockpit. They gave it back to me when we arrived at the airport. It shines with the sun in your living room. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Well, Fanny, you were born in Clermont-Ferrand, are 34 years old, and spent 10 years in Paris before settling a few months ago here in Annecy, in our beautiful region. You work in communications, project management, and you're also a yoga teacher. A taste for adventure and the need to travel characterize you. You did several long internships abroad during your studies. Last year, you and your partner embarked on a 16-month round-the-world bicycle trip that took you as far as Asia before continuing on to New Zealand. And you're already planning to set off again in a few months' time. As a child, you enjoyed horse riding and outdoor activities. Today, you're a runner like many others, and you've developed your skills on the road by gradually increasing distances. The call of nature has led you to trail running, and you have no shortage of ambitions for 2024, with many races already scheduled. Do you have anything else to add to this uh, presentation? No, it's fine. I'm very happy to be moving to NC. So you've got a nice cup, and I've brought something that's a lot lighter and takes up a lot less space. What's that? I'll take it out. Do you know what it is? What's that? Turn it a little. It's uh, a rear view mirror? Retroviseur, no? Yes, yes, that's it. It's a travel bike mirror. It was the mirror I had on the first part of my trip because, as you can see, it's broken. Huh? The monkeys in India really liked to look at themselves in the mirror, and actually, they liked it so much that they tore it off. They took it with them, and I managed to get it back because it happened in front of a little guest house, and the gentleman in the guest house had a water pistol to scare the monkeys away because... He was used to... Yeah, he was used to them hanging around, so they dropped it. I kept it and thought it would make a nice souvenir because you can bring back a lot of souvenirs when you travel by bike. So here it is, a piece of the bike. Let's talk a little bit about your sporting activities. Did you have any sports heroes who inspired you when you were younger? 
And what about your transition from soccer to skiing, and what motivated that change? No, I've never had an idol as such. I played soccer like a lot of little boys. I was a Lyon fan back in the day when the club won many Ligue 1 championships. So uh, I used to wear that club's jersey. But besides that, I didn't have a particular hero, not even an alpine skier when I started skiing. I started skiing later, around the time I began secondary school, so I was 12 or 13. It came quite naturally because my dad was also an alpine skier and I had a competitive side. And what was new for me was that it was an individual sport compared to soccer. And I liked that. The fact that the result depended on me and not on a team. I continued to play soccer for a few years and then I stopped soccer. And the last few years after that, I only did alpine skiing, even when I was at university. So outdoor sports in general and mountain sports gradually. Are sports a big part of your family's background? Yes and no, meaning that my parents didn't practice sports on a daily basis, but always took us hiking. Uh, we were outside a lot. It was all about enjoying the outdoors and the fresh air. More in the walking mode. So that's how you got into running? No, not at all. Actually, I was living in Paris, where it was a bit challenging to find opportunities for outdoor activities or even just a simple walk during the day. So, in fact, I started something else, yoga in particular. I was actually in a gym. I just got off of work and I had a bit of time before the yoga session started and I didn't know what to do in the gym. I was a bit helpless with the equipment. I didn't really know how to use it and there were treadmills. Okay, so you tried... I said to myself, well, I've got 30 minutes to spare, so I'm going to try and get on the treadmill. And that's how it started. At first, I remember when I managed to do three kilometers, I was so happy. It was kind of a victory. I'd never done that before. Then I tried to do five and so on. And then I thought, well, it would be nice to try it off the treadmill. And especially on the road at first? And that's how I started. But I'm originally from the Auvergne region, and so every weekend I'd go to see my family, and I'd have to go and do my run. But it was quite hilly, so I'd go out on the trails, and I'd think I was actually doing a bit of trail running, like, without realizing it. It was up and down all the way, but otherwise, my first races were on the road. How did you develop your practice so that it became an increasingly important part of your life? Actually, it came about quite naturally because then after finishing my first year at university, I found myself on vacation in May, wondering what I would do all summer until the next school year started. So I did a bit of summer work as a student and I said to myself, well, I'm going to go to the mountains. I'd already done a bit of cycling before to prepare the alpine skiing season. And actually, throughout the summer of 2011, I went cycling more often and I liked it. Every weekend, I'd go out for three or four hours cycling or walking in the mountains. Then came the moment when my friends and family said, you should start trail running. So I looked into it. It sounded pretty good. And the following year, I started competing. And that's how I got into the sport in the first place. 
So skiing in the winter, hiking and cycling in the summer, and then you switch to trail running? I used to do only alpine skiing. The last few years, in fact, when I was at university, I only did alpine skiing in winter, and I'd already stopped playing soccer in summer. In 2011, I started going hiking in the mountains, so walking, then running all summer long and cycling at the same time. In winter 2011-2012, I was still skiing, but I started ski mountaineering as well. Not in competition, but just for fun, to discover new places with friends and family. And then from 2012 onwards, I really branched out into trail running in the summer. I started doing this sport competitively, and the following winter, 2012-2013, I also discovered ski mountaineering in competition. And ever since then, I've been switching between these two sports, trail running in the summer until fall, and then ski mountaineering from December to the end of March, usually. And you started competing straight away? Did you get into trail running very quickly? I've always had this competitive spirit. When I played soccer, I always wanted to win. When I skied downhill, I wasn't one of the best. I had a good regional level, but I really had that competitive side that my brother never had. During our training sessions, we used to have stopwatches, and I always strive to be the first in the club. That's something that really defines me. And when I got into trail running, I prepared myself to do the best I could. My first race, I didn't know what it was going to be like. And then the results came quite naturally, with some good ones right away. So, of course... You wanted to go on. You want to progress. You're looking for ways to improve your nutrition and training. I hired a coach, then the sponsors came on board, and it was a bit of a spiral. It's always been a healthy thing to do, and I've always really enjoyed it. What did you do when you first started out as a trail runner? Naturally, I've always gone for the long stuff. In the summer of 2011, for my first little challenge, I think I went out for seven or eight hours. I wasn't 19 yet, I guess I was 18. And every weekend I'd go running or cycling for four to five hours outside in the mountains with lots of elevation changes. I've always had a bit of a competitive streak in me, that challenge side that drives me each time. And so naturally, it was the long distance that attracted me. My first trail running experience was a 52 kilometers race today. That's not what we generally recommend. <laughs> sure. And three weeks later, I did a 73 kilometers race. And in August, I set off on my first 100 kilometers. In fact, the great distance came quite early. Yes, very early in 2013. The second year I was 20, I was running the CCC. And that's still what attracts me. I never wanted to do short distances. What I consider short was 40 kilometers. I've done them, but that's the thing I enjoy the most. I could see that I was more at ease over longer distances. And preparation is especially interesting for me, as I like to spend time outdoors. Did you have any preconceptions before switching to running? You said you only did yoga before. How did it go? First, I realized that I couldn't do it. It's a bit frustrating when you try something and it's hard, and then you want to persevere and say to yourself, well, why can't I? Why can't I do this? So I said to myself, first of all, I'm going to try to do 10 kilometers. And then I succeeded. I had no idea. I was really thinking, this is my goal and I'm going to achieve it and I've got to do it. And so I did my first half marathon in 2018. And I actually remember I finished it in two hours, something like that. Was it good or not? I had no idea. But um, I was already super happy with what I'd done. So you're not attracted to the uh, competitive side of things? No, not at all. And when I was a little girl and I used to go horseback riding, 
Horseback riding is something that can potentially have a very competitive aspect, where you go away for the weekend and the clubs meet and challenge each other. And um, in fact, I always refuse to go because it's not part of my personality and I don't enjoy it at all. So what counts is my goal, and my pleasure lies in the fact that I'm working towards that goal. And so after my first half marathon, I did two or three more and quickly said to myself, well, there's the marathon after that. I really want to try that. And I remember telling my family that I was going to run a marathon, and uh, they told me, you're not prepared, this is serious stuff. And I said, no, no, I don't see why. And I injured myself preparing, classic TFL. <laughs> I suffered on the big day, but I went all the way. I did damage my knee, but I said to myself, I won't give up, and that was it. And then I realized that there was timing issues, and I said to myself, now I'm going to try and do it. A little better. Yeah, a little better. I got into it, and it's true that pretty quickly, I noticed that back where my family lives, there were these small trail races happening in relatively small formats, so typically between 20 and 40 kilometers. And I said to myself, well, I'd like to try that because I like being outdoors, and so I went for it. So here again, I ticked off all the beginner's pitfalls. So it wasn't my knees anymore. It was my feet, blisters everywhere, new shoes, black toenails. Uh, so there you have it. I assure you, it's still there for everyone. <laughs> and then I uh, really liked it. And then all of a sudden, I wanted to progress to add a bit more elevation gain or a bit more time. Why don't you go back to the road now that you've discovered trail running? Well, yes, actually, I do both. I've signed up for the NSC Marathon, and the longest format I've done is the Saint-Élion, which was already very good for me, even though there's not much elevation gain. That's when I did the most training, and that's what enabled me to set a personal record for the marathon, which was very unexpected because I was only going there because at the time, I was obviously continuing to train on the road in Paris. In fact, I went out and achieved my best time. So I thought to myself, well, that's fantastic. Uh, one doesn't have to exclude the other. So that's how it is. Now that I live in ANSI, I actually prefer it this way. I understand. Do you think yoga helps you with your running or do you still practice it because that's where you come from and you continue to do it because it's your first sport? No, it's definitely useful. And I think there are a lot of parallels to be drawn with your job. I think that in physiotherapy... Yes, there's definitely overlap in what we do. And I think there are actually quite a few exercises that are similar or share the same roots. And uh, what it brings me, aside from all the mobility, flexibility, and understanding of the body, is a significant uh, psychological aspect. Not just visualization, but the entire mental preparation aspect. And I'm certain there are plenty of exercises. I don't know, you mentioned having a coach. By the way, do you also do mental preparation? No, not at all. That's no? just it. It's an area I don't need to explore. Ah. So when it comes to mental preparation, I think I do it unconsciously, but I'm relatively self-confident. I've never needed to talk to anyone about it. 
Even my coach always says to me, with you, I've never needed to talk, because he could see that I was quite serene in my decision-making. When I had injuries, he saw that I never collapsed. I came right back. I had no trouble accepting it. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. For example, is the visualization stuff something you already use? Yes, indeed. I do a lot of visualization before my races. I imagine myself many times in the race. I imagine different race scenarios. And, and in fact, I've always done that without saying to myself, well, you're doing the mental preparation. And I only do that on my own. I never talk about it with anyone, mm-hmm. except since I've been asked that question for some time now. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do things. In La Réunion, for example, I was already imagining myself crossing the finishing line. During the race, mm-hmm. I still remember after three hours of racing, I was already imagining the next day. Some people might say it's not good to think too far ahead. But yes, we do mental preparation or visualization strategies without really realizing it, I think. You made quite an impression when you finished second in the UTMB Mont Blanc. I imagine it's quite a memory for you. So I suggest you revive it with an extract from the live recording of the time. Here's the finish line. Look at Aurélien's smile. Line in second place. Well, look, he wants to share. Look at the tears. Wow, it's beautiful. Yes, because you also have to think about your crew. It takes a lot of work, a lot of investment, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time. The emotional reserve. Here we go. We're allowed to crack. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah, I'm so close. That's why I stopped talking. <laughs> What was your ambition at this time? Is this something you could have imagined, the second place? Well, my ambition that day was to be on the podium. That day I felt Jim and Francois were theoretically better. So I said to myself that those two were clearly, on paper, the best. And then all the other runners who were there that day were runners I'd already met and beaten in 100-kilometer races. And so I said to myself, in the best-case scenario, yeah, I can get on the podium. And then I arrived in very good shape. This year, I just had a gastric problem during the summer, which really weakened me for several weeks. So I just had this little doubt about it. But otherwise, I was very ambitious. And the days before the race, I felt I was in really good shape. Nevertheless, it was my first 100 miles. So I didn't know how I was going to react. Even though the year before, I'd set the record for the most positive elevation gain in 24 hours. I already had a bit of a long distance experience, but I didn't know how I was going to react to a real 24-hour race. People say that crossing the arch in Chamonix is almost mythical. How did you feel at the time? What were your emotions? Clearly, when you're in second place, there's going to be a crowd. There's the music. Mm. I arrived not far after Francois, so obviously everyone was still there. So yes, it was very, very moving. It's the only time I've ever cried that much at the finish line, when I was reunited with my partner, Julia. It was the result of years of training. I've been wanting to run a 100-mile race since 2018, but there were setbacks like minor injuries and then the COVID pandemic that delayed my plans. 
However, my first attempt went well. The feeling of crossing the finish line with people cheering you on during the last kilometer is something truly amazing, regardless of what anyone says. You said that your partner was waiting for you at the finish line. How does that work with your crew? The relationship between your races and your family, loved ones, your partner, is, uh, is that important to you? I may sound harsh, but I don't necessarily need my partner to crew me. I mean, I need someone I can trust, but then I'm not very complicated. I'm not among the leaders at aid stations. I don't do express refueling. Last year at La Réunion and the Hard Rock, Julia, my partner, wasn't there, and it was my parents who took over. Now that we've got kids, she may not be available. My brother sometimes plays along too. I coach them. That's what my brother and I usually do. At the UTMB with Julia, I think we got ready in the afternoon, two or three before the start. I said to her, okay, you can prepare the refueling. I wrote it down on a sheet of paper and that was it. But it was so special to meet her at the finish line. She plays such a big part in my preparation. She accepts that I'm going to train at weekends. When we have family dinners, sometimes I'm a bit late. Mm -hmm. So I inevitably think of her when I cross the finish line. She's such a big part of my sporting success. Well, I'd like to shift the conversation to a more personal level for the rest of our discussion. We're going to revisit an event that had a significant impact on you, and I have a sound clip to share from it. And then don't worry about this one because we're in high elevation. So once you're at town, hopefully you get from 85, 90, up to 100. But here we are in high altitude. You can see you have 70. This is nice. This is an extract from my attempt to climb Kilimanjaro. And in the clip, you can hear the guide actually taking my saturation. Not very good, I guess. How was your saturation level? I was at 70 and it was still very low. How high above sea level were you? I don't think we were even at 3,000 or 3,500 meters at the time. Ah, yes. Knowing that the summit is over 5,000. Yeah, almost 6,000. So there you go. So it's a, that's an extract uh, that takes me way back. I imagine you had to stop here on the way up. No, we went further, but actually this clip is still really important today because it's the moment when, um, well, you see everything I was telling you. It's all about going further and further and telling yourself you can do it, etc. But that day I hit the bottom and I wasn't able to go any further. And in fact, I didn't make it to the top. I'd gone off sick. I had bronchitis. I was coughing. I was on antibiotics. I had it planned for a long time, a bit like you at La Réunion, you see. You keep thinking about it. And then in the end, it didn't go well at all. I quickly succumbed to altitude sickness and experienced severe symptoms. Eventually, I reached a point where I had to stop. What was it like for you? So, at the moment, the failure felt extremely devastating. Mm. Uh, additionally, even though my partner was feeling well, he refused to continue without me, insisting, I'm not leaving you here. Mm-hmm. So not only was it a failure for me, it was a failure for him, and it really hurt at the time. And then afterwards, as the years went by, I'm almost glad I didn't do it. 
because everything it taught me, you know, in terms of feeling and saying, well, you don't have to succeed in everything all the time, but just because you didn't succeed this time doesn't mean you can't succeed in anything else. How do you deal with the fact that sometimes a race doesn't turn out as you have imagined or planned? Last year, for sure, I was pretty satisfied. There were no disappointments, so it was a good year. It's more about managing injuries. I had several in 2015, 2016, 2019, as you mentioned earlier, and then 2022. I'm holding on to other things. I know I have other things like I have a job, I have a family, and above all, I know that from a sporting point of view, I'll be back as long as I haven't broken a leg or something very serious. So it only delays the moment when I start a race, as in the case of La Diagonale. But every time I've always accepted it well, and I've always been far from feeling depressed. And I have this sense of calmness where I tell myself, well, it'll happen when it happens. And when you're not practicing, is there anything else you can do other than exercise? Have you got any other hobbies? Sport is definitely my biggest passion. And these days it consumes a lot of my time with all the physical activity and the requests we get from sponsors and the media. But when I spend time at home, I like to cook. It's something I don't mind doing at all. At home, I cook 95% of our meals and I enjoy it, especially when I'm preparing meals for our son. As a result, I spend a lot of time cooking. I'm really into eating healthily. I like to eat good things. We never buy ready-made meals or things like that. So yes, there's the sporting side, of course. I'm also all about enjoying good food. I'm a good eater. And I make very good gourmet Savoyard dishes. I don't have any hang-ups about that. I don't mind drinking a good beer or red wine at family dinners. I'm not obsessed by it all. Even a week away from a race, I don't have any particular restrictions. Pleasure above all. Yes, but since I know that I naturally have a balanced diet, it's not really complicated for me to do something healthy for my physical activity, because it's the same thing whether I do something healthy or not, so I might as well do it right before the races. What about you? Apart from yoga and sport, what do you like to do? Well, uh, when I've got a bit of time between work and training, even though I don't have a family yet, uh, I spend a lot of time reading. Mm-hmm. It's something that's very important to me. What do you like reading? Uh, I read a lot of stories, autobiographies, adventure stories, or people's experiences. It can be about a bike tour or lots of different themes like uh, leisure, travel, journeys, adventures. That makes sense. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's important to, um, to have a calmer, more self-centered time rather than always doing sport. (laughs) I agree. I suggest we close the personal chapter. For that, we're going to draw one last random question. So, here you have a bunch of little papers, and I invite you to pick one. Okay, I'll play along. This one. So, what's your best quality and your worst flaw? Oh, dear. (laughs) That's a difficult question. (laughs) I have trouble with this. Uh, Greatest quality... 
I'm not sure if it's considered a quality, but I'd say I'm always optimistic. I always maintain a positive outlook. Mm. Honestly, I don't think many people could say Aurélien was in a bad mood today, even after experiencing setbacks, whether in sports or due to injuries. You said it, yes. The anecdote is from the evening of the UTMB 2022, when I gave up after eight kilometers and turned back. Julia was waiting for me down in Les Ouches, but my family was already on the other side, in Les Contamines, waiting for me in Saint-Gervais, so they all turned back. We ended up at Julia's uncle's place near Chamonix and enjoyed a meal planned for the whole Mont Blanc evening. It was a great time. The next day, I limped home on crutches. My biggest flaw. If I had to admit, especially considering my partner, it's perhaps being overly fixated on sports and not being open enough to other interests. I do tend to prioritize sports a lot, and sometimes she brings it up. I suspect she might want us to explore activities that aren't so centered around sports. Cultural or... It might not be a flaw as such, but uh, it's the first thing that comes to mind. So plan for some cultural activities. Yes, yes, that could be good. <laughs> yes, there are several options in Nancy. Well, yes, that's true. Maybe I don't take enough time for it. That's true. So it's your turn now. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that's not an easy one either. <laughs> if you could go back in time, what advice would you give to your younger self? I believe I'd advise my younger self not to wait for others to believe in me, but rather to become my own driving force. Yeah, if there's something you want, you shouldn't wait for the perfect conditions or the right person to help you get started. Instead, go for it and take the lead. I agree. So Aurelian, now that we know each other a little better, I'd like to play a little quiz game with you. I'm going to read you three facts about me, but only one of them is true, and you are going to have to guess which one it is. Are you ready? Let's go. So, I practice underwater photography. We haven't talked about it, but during a dive in Ecuador, as you know, I've traveled a bit. In 2017, I took a photo of a manta ray that was not far from a wreck we were diving on. And that photo won third prize in the World Nature Photography Competition, and it's a competition based in Europe. Then I was crossing Pakistan on my bicycle, and during the trip I had a military escort, and one of the soldiers accompanying me made me carry his Kalashnikov. And thirdly, I was hiking in Australia, where, as you know, there are lots of kangaroos, and one came out and started following me. So I ran really fast, and I was happy to be a runner because I'm really scared of kangaroos. They can punch you. Okay, all three could be true, I guess. But I think a kangaroo runs faster than we do, so I think the story about photography seems pretty true, doesn't it? No, it's not true. I was so convinced. Because I told the story well. Actually, I dive and I'd really like to, but I take photos with my GoPro, but not underwater, which requires a lot of equipment and I'm not there yet. 
What's true is that I carried the military's Kalashnikov in Pakistan. Oh. Okay, I feel better about the kangaroos. But hey, he trusted you, so... Yeah, I think, in fact, he didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't in his right mind, and he shouldn't have done this, but he gave me the Kalashnikov. Did you return it afterwards? I gave it back to him, of course. It was really uncomfortable to have a gun in my hands. Your turn? Yeah, so first fact, I don't know how to whistle with my fingers. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Second fact, I suffered from stomach ache during my first 100-kilometer race in the Beaufortin region, which I mentioned earlier, and I had to stop 18 times during the race for this reason. Third statement, during a physiotherapy session, a 60-year-old patient of mine cut our session short by 15 minutes so she could watch the latest episode of her favorite TV series. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> Neither of them is about sport. Go for it. Mm. In fact, I'd say you don't know how to whistle. Well, no, it's not that. Oh, darn. <laughs> no, stomach ache. That was my first 100 kilometers race back in 2012. The Beaufortin Trail. When it came to nutrition for sports, I hadn't really given it much thought because I never had any concerns. I remember the race started at 4 a.m. At 3 in the morning, I was at home enjoying a big bowl of milk with butter and honey toast. I think I had four or five slices before leaving, thinking to myself, you need to eat before the race. It tasted great. But unfortunately, it didn't work out well for me. And yes, from around the 30th kilometer onward, I still vividly remember... I'll spare you the details, but oddly enough, it didn't upset my stomach. I just needed to stop. And you finished the race? Yes, of course. I finished third. It went really well. My stomach didn't hurt, though. I just needed to stop. And you didn't waste too much time. A bit, yes. Because I was sharing the third position with another runner. We were running together the whole race. I'd stop and he wouldn't stop with me, so I'd have to catch up with him. I did this 18 times in a row. And at the end of the race, I said to myself, if I really want to finish third on my own, I'm going to have to get ahead. Towards the end of the race, the last 10 kilometers, things went pretty smoothly. So it ended up on a high note. You were, you were off the hook. In fact, it was very, very cold. I think we'd been running with our jackets on all day. It was raining and that must have played a part from that point of view. I drank soup all day during the race. Anyway, it wasn't a bad experience either, but... Your story is very, very good. <laughs> That's the story I often tell. Well, Aurélien, let's move on to another series of questions. The UTMB World Series surveyed its community, and Internet users had a few questions for you which I'd like to read. First is a question we received from Olivier. Is there a quality you'd like to borrow from another runner? If so, which one? And above all, from whom? Well, that's going to be pretty simple. In terms of running ability, I would love to run faster on flat terrain. It's not something I actively train for, although it's not my strongest point. So it's safe to say that flat running isn't my forte. I'm more suited to climbing and walking in the mountains. And if I could choose, I'd take Jim's speed because I believe he has the best balance between speed and climbing abilities in the ultra-trail world. Next, a question from Bianca. Will we ever see you road running? And if so, which format would suit you? 
There you go, you see back to running fast on flat terrain. It's not impossible. It'll never be a major objective of mine, because every time I go out on the road, I always feel some kind of tension and pain, because I very rarely go out there, and furthermore, I don't particularly enjoy it. So, if I were to do a race, it certainly wouldn't be a marathon, because the preparation it requires is too demanding and time-consuming. So, I'd be afraid of injuring myself. I could, why not, try a 10 kilometers run without any specific preparation? But why not one day do a 10 kilometers race at full speed just to find out what I'm worth over 10 kilometers? Okay, and uh, one last question from Florian. You've won the Hard Rock, the Diagonal des Fous, and finished second at the UTMB. Do you think you'll ever win the Western States? So, no. This race is actually the fourth of the four big ultra races. At the moment, it's not the one I'm most keen on because its profile is much less suited to my qualities. It's a race run in the heat, a heat that's very tough depending on the year. So, it's much less appealing to me today. What I'm most dreaming about right now is the UTMB. Now that I've achieved the two major goals, other than the UTMB and the Western, after that, the Western States is also a myth. So, one day, I hope to be able to take the start and race. I'll train for it, but I don't think I'll be fighting for a place on the podium. I don't have the ability to go fast enough compared to Jim, for example, who's good in all formats. But why not take part in this legendary race one day? Let's talk about the future and what's going to happen in the next few months. What are your main goals for 2024 and what's this year going to look like? Our primary focus is welcoming our second child at the beginning of May, so that's our top priority. It's going to be a new experience because we already have a child who will be less than two years old when the second one arrives, so managing two children will be a whole new challenge. Therefore, I've oriented my year around that naturally. I want to spend as much time as possible with my family. And for that, I'm going to stay fairly local until my first big goal, which is the UTMB 2024. We live one and a half hours from Chamonix, so it's not very far either. The idea is to prepare all summer for the UTMB, and as part of that preparation, I'm going to do the maxi race around Ancy's Lake for the third time in a row. I finished second twice, so it's not too bad. The race is next door. I'm sleeping at home. The start is 15 minutes away, so it's pretty cool from a logistic point of view. And it'll be a few weeks after the arrival of my second baby. And then, following the same logic, I'm going to stay in the area by participating in the 90 kilometers of Marathon du Mont Blanc in Chamonix. The two races are quite close. There's only a four-week gap between the two races. But it's a way for me to have a solid training block with good volume. Okay. Normally, I know that I recover well from a 10-hour race. Then I rest for 10 days or so, train briefly, and then prepare again. And then those races, especially the 90 kilometers of Marathon du Mont Blanc, really suit me. There's a lot of elevation gain. You get to walk a lot with your poles. And it's a lot easier for me to train for that than for a race like the Western States, which requires a lot more running. And then, even though it's still under discussion, I am planning to spend several weeks with my family in La Réunion at the end of the year. If all goes well after the UTMB, if the recovery goes well, it would be great to take the start of La Diagonale des Fous again. We really love the island, as much for the event, for the race, as for the landscape. There's so much to do there. And then, it would extend our summer a bit. What about you? 
Any sporting goals? Yes, I have a few goals. But one of the most important things that's going to happen is that I'm going on a bike tour again. So I will spend the summer in Central Asia. And this time I won't be cycling there because it already takes three months to do the tour there. So we'll fly for the arrival and the return to France, but we'll be crossing by bike. And do you think you'll ever run the UTMB? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you will gradually increase the distances. And I wish you a wonderful season, living up to your wishes and expectations, and above all, a beautiful and happy life with your wife and son. Thank you. To welcome a second baby. Thank you very much. And have a great bike trip. I didn't ask you, are you going with your partner? Yes, actually, it's our honeymoon. <laughs> okay, great. You can tell me all about it if we meet again in Chamonix. For sure. Thank you so much, Aurelia. See you soon. And that's it for today. We hope you had a great time and that you're feeling inspired to go out for a run. If so, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this episode with your friends, colleagues, or trail partners. Subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. We'll see you next month for another encounter. Yeah, it's quite different. Usually it's more a Q&A thing, but here we really interacted. Yeah. People who don't know us or have never talked to us, when, when I say us, I mean professional runners, mm. they often picture us in this very specific bubble where we're obsessed with sports, only eat seeds and go to bed at 8 p.m. As soon as they actually talk to us, they realize, well, they're actually quite similar to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>